Morning, church. Thanks for being here. Gorgeous day out, isn't it? Finally, some sunshine in Illinois. My name's John Vanderveld. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Before we jump into the text this morning, I want to take a moment and just pray for the events that are happening in Turkey and Syria. Um, if you've been watching the news at all, you know a major earthquake, earthquake hit that area. Um, 20,000 plus people have lost their lives. People are still um, looking for others. In a moment, there's going to be a map that goes up on the screen as we follow Paul's missionary journeys. And it just felt to me like we're going to be looking at this area kind of all morning. And I know heavy on my heart is that uh, earthquake and those people in that um, situation. And so I just wanted to pray this morning for God's uh, care of that situation. So let me, let me pray. Father God, we love you so much. Um, Lord, we know that everything that happens in this world is not a surprise to you and that you work through all different sorts of situations. And so, Lord, today I pray that you will work through this situation, um, this terrible earthquake and the death and destruction that it's caused. You'll raise up um, believers in that area, that you'll, you'll empower the church in that area to share the good news of Jesus throughout um, this difficult situation. I, I pray for those whose hearts are broken for those that are dealing with loss and tragedy, Lord, that you would give them comfort, um, a special comfort that comes from you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're working our way through the second half of the book of Acts. We've been following along Paul as he went with Barnabas, and then as he, as he returned from his first missionary journey, and then he went out with Silas, picked up Timothy along the way. Uh, we've been journeying with these guys, these this group of traveling companions walking the mission road. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. I invite you to come with me into that chapter. We're going to be in Phrygia and Galatia for a little bit, and then we're going to make our way uh, to the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. We find Paul here in Phrygia and Galatia wandering around with his traveling companions, looking for what is next for them. They've, they've set off on their second missionary journey, and, and they're sort of wandering around uh, in the area. Let's put the map up on the screen. We're going to read the text here in a second, but um, just so we have a little bit of geography, we're leaving Antioch, and we're heading um, up to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, another Antioch, which we've covered um, already. Paul, on his second missionary journey, is going back and visiting some of the places where he already went. So let's pick up in chapter 16. Let's start at verse 6 this morning. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, also the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to. So they passed, to, passed by Mysia and went to Tro, Troas, Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
Let's pause there for a moment. Let's put the map back up on the screen. Now that we've read some cities, you kind of have an idea of where these guys are. So they, they wandered around a little bit in what Luke calls, the author of the book of Acts calls Asia. This is clearly not modern-day Asia. This is what we would refer to as Turkey or Asia Minor. Paul had desired to go into Bithynia, which is north a little bit towards the Black Sea, but he also likely was hoping and planning to go south a little bit. Thyatira, Ephesus, these are places that Paul had likely planned to head to when he left on his second missionary journey. We see that Luke also uses the term Macedonia. Well, there is a modern-day Macedonia, North Macedonia, which is on our map. It's just above Greece. It's a country um, that exists today. Uh, Greece was Greece then and, and Greece now, all right? So Greece remains uh, the country in uh, Europe. That's where Paul eventually will be heading. So now that we've got a li little bit of bearings about where we're at in the world and where these guys are. Let's, let's talk about some of the interesting things that come out in this passage, some things that we can note uh, in this first little bit of our passage this morning. First thing that strikes me is that Paul is being guided by the Holy Spirit through hindrance. The Holy Spirit is telling him that you cannot do something. You cannot go into this area. The phrase that we love to use for that in Evangelical Christianity is God closes a what? God, God closed the door to Bithynia at this moment. God is closing doors and God is opening doors. It's a phrase that we like to use a lot and it makes some sense here. God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, told Paul and his companions in some way, shape, or form, guys, you're not going there. Where you thought you were going to go, you're not going to go. I'm closing that door. I have other plans for you. And so they wander around a little bit, finally making their way to the coast, to Troas. We see in this that God's plan is bigger than Paul's. Paul had an, likely had an agenda, a place he was going, uh, plans and, and design for where they were going to head. And we see in this that God's plan is bigger. God's plan may be different than Paul's plan, that God is orchestrating everything for his purposes, that he knows what he's doing. And Paul and his companions are sort of along for the ride. They're in tune with the Holy Spirit. But God's plan for gospel revelation to the entire world is what is really happening. And Paul is the implementer of some of that, some of God's plan. But God's plan has a, an order and a purpose a direction inside of it. We can gain comfort from that, that God knows what he's doing. It's not all just in our hands, right? We work with God and we are um, used by God and we're empowered by him, but it is his plan. He has an order and a reason and we submit to him. God speaks and directs through his Holy Spirit. He's the one that is closing doors and then opening doors. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and their traveling companions, they make their way to Troas. In the dead of the night, Paul has a vision. He has a vision of a man from Macedonia, from Europe, standing before him and begging him, come to Macedonia. Come to Macedonia and help us 
in our work here. God had closed the door, and now God is opening another one. Paul had a vision, and he concludes that clearly this is from the Lord, and so he doesn't waste his time. He packs his bags, he buys some tickets for the boat, and they head off to Macedonia. Have you ever felt like God had cl- has closed a door in your life? Ever had that feeling where you thought that something was going to happen in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place, and then all of a sudden the door is closed? Have you ever felt God open a door in your life? God calling you just crystal clear to something. God opening and closing doors. It's a real powerful thing that we see here happening in Paul's life. We can kind of quickly skip over it, but God is doing something really powerful in this opening and closing of doors. Ever cry out for a man from Macedonia to show up in your dreams? I won't ask for a raising of hands. I have felt that longing in my life. I have felt that weight of wondering what is next. God, what are you calling me to? God, what do you want me to do? I remember it so heavy, so weighty when I was a junior in college. Junior year is that, that point where people are like, you're almost done with your major, right? You know what you're going to do, right? I remember feeling this weight of like, what am I going to do? God, what are you calling me to? Before my junior year, I actually took a semester off and I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Another time I can tell you stories about that. I got back to Wheaton College and I thought in my mind, I had a vision or an idea that I was going to climb the highest peaks in the world. You can laugh. It's funny. A kid from Michigan and Illinois thinking that I was going to go and I was going to climb all these peaks, but I was serious about it. I had gained, I had purchased gear and I looked at books and was looking at maps and making plans and doing all these sorts of things. Guys, I used to sleep on the floor in my apartment so that I wouldn't get um, comfortable with a mattress. I used to put on all my gear and I'd take my, my, these ropes I had to practice tying knots. I'd turn on the ice cold water and I'd stand in my shower and I'd practice knots because that was what it was going to be like when you're climbing a mountain. It's going to be cold. You got to be ready. This is what I was going to do. I thought that this is what was next. Then one day I wandered into Wheaton College Chapel. You got to go to chapel when you go to Wheaton, thinking, oh, I wonder what will be happening today. Maybe I'll be able to catch up on a little bit of sleep. All you Wheaton College kids. (laughs) And there's this dude that walks to the platform and he's got a big bushy beard and he's got on hiking boots and he's wearing a t-shirt, which is kind of odd for Wheaton College Chapel. And he starts telling me, see, I even said it because I felt like he was just talking to me. But he starts telling us about this place called Honey Rock. There's this place that, that they did these wilderness trips and they would take kids out into places like the Boundary Waters and all these cool places. And they would do these incredible adventures and they were these hardcore trips. But in the midst of all of that, you got to talk about Jesus. You got to go with Jesus. You got to share the gospel with these kids and you got to talk about Jesus. And I was standing there feeling like, just, oh, 
love, like this beam. Like this guy was talking just to me, and I went right from that chapel, and I went to the Honey Rock office, and I said, sign me up. And I'm telling you, church, that moment, God opened a door that for 15 years paved the path of my life. I went from Honey Rock to getting involved in full-time wilderness and adventure ministry. And for 15 years, I got to lead trips and run programs all over the world. I never once climbed one of the highest mountains. But I got to go to Alaska with kids and talk about Jesus. And I got to sea kayak in Mexico with kids and talk about Jesus. I got to go to Africa. I got to go to all these places. And it was not easy. It was not easy. It was tough. But the joy of being on mission with God and, and feeling like he had opened a door and I had walked through. All I did was respond and, and he took care of the rest. If you're wondering today, if I tell you that story, not to tell you about me, but to tell you about the power of God, right? God opens doors. God closes doors in people's lives. And if we want to know what's next for us, we want to know if God's actually opened the, a door. Let me give you some pointers. The first thing is to be in prayer. Praying every day, asking God, can you show me what's next for me? What's a job change in your life? Maybe it's moving to a different neighborhood. Whatever it may be, we're in prayer. We're in God's word because God is going to be consistent. He's consistent all throughout his word. He'll be consistent today. So we're in his word, reading his word. We know his word. We're applying his word to our lives. The third thing I would say is be in community with other people. So that when you have these ideas of things that you think you might do, places that you think you might go, you have somebody in your life that says, yeah, I do think that is from the Lord. That's not just your idea. And you'll be amazed at these coincidences that start happening in your life where God opens these doors or you have these conversations and it starts stirring in your spirit and you know that this is from the Lord. All right, we're four verses in. We have 23 more to go. Before we do get to verse 11, I want to point out just one thing. Did anybody notice something unique in verse 10 this morning? Somebody got it right away in first service. Something happens in verse 10. The text changes from they to we. Isn't that interesting? Text changes from Luke writing and saying, they are doing this and they are going here. All of a sudden it says, and we. So many scholars would say that the man calling out from Macedonia in Paul's dream was likely Luke. I don't know if that's true or not. The text doesn't tell us. But we know for sure that Luke joins the posse. Luke joins these guys in Troas or, or somewhere near there and is a part of the group that's going to go forward. All right, so verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day we went to Nepolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the other members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
right? So Paul and his companions, they jump on a boat, they sail over to uh, Macedonia, and they arrive in Philippi. Philippi is this Roman colony. Uh, many people back then call it the second Rome. It's this huge established Roman place. And there's likely no synagogue in that place because there's no, Paul's, uh, you know, protocol, right? He goes to the synagogue first. Well, we see here that Paul doesn't go to a synagogue. And in the next chapter, in chapter 17, they actually know, well, in this city, there was a synagogue. And so we're led to believe there's no synagogue in Philippi. But there is a, a quasi-synagogue, a place outside the city gate along the river where, where people who feared God, who knew God, would gather and pray. There's a, a women, women's gathering that Paul and Silas and Timothy show up at. There's some God, they, Luke calls uh, Lydia a God-fearing woman. And that's a phrase that has, is used, we've heard that phrase before and we'll hear it again. This is a, a way to describe a Gentile who has come to know and fear God. They had an understanding of the Torah, knew how, who God was, understood likely the prophecies about the Messiah that was going to come, but they didn't know Jesus yet. Paul meets Lydia. Lydia is this likely wealthy businesswoman from Thyatira, which is well, a part of Asia. And she's dealing in purple cloth, which makes sense because in this Roman colony, purple cloth was a part of the Roman uh, clothing that they would wear. And so she's a businesswoman. She's traveling about. She has a home, maybe a home in Thyatira and in Philippi. So she's likely a person of means. And Paul meets her at the river outside of the city. She's a God-fearer. She knew something of the, of the known, of the scriptures at that time. She knew the Torah and, and some of the other teaching, but she didn't know Jesus. She didn't know that the Messiah had come, the one that was promised, the one that would free them from all of their sin, the one who would justify them. This is the message, right, that we've heard Paul preach before. Christ has come. We now have freedom. Your sins are now forgiven. Lydia didn't know that Jesus had come. Lydia didn't know the Messiah was here, that he had died and taken on her sin, and that he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. And in this moment, Paul shows up at the river. We hear this beautiful and unique phrase, the Lord opened her heart. Isn't that interesting? The Lord opened her heart. And when Paul starts to preach and share this message, she comes to faith and she responds in baptism. This is a beautiful picture, church, of how the gospel works, how salvation works. The Holy Spirit is going ahead. The Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of people. And you combine that with the, the clear preaching, the message of the gospel, and people are saved. God does the work before. God does the work during. God does the saving. But there's this partnership. There's this connection with the message that goes out. It's a beautiful picture of how it works. Church, this is why we preach the gospel. 
from platforms like this, but it's also why we share the gospel in our daily lives. When you interact with a neighbor, a coworker, somebody in your life, I don't, a, a fellow student at school, whatever it may be. This is why we talk about and we share and we preach the gospel is because God is going before us. God is working on the hearts of people and we don't always know who it is. And so we, we partner with God in the work that he's doing to share the good news with people. It's this beautiful picture. Paul puts together all the pieces for Lydia and he adds the one piece that she did not have, right? But God's the one that opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart through a, a maybe a whisper in her spirit, right? Where she feels, like, this is true. This is real. Paul is faithful to share the good news with her. All right, let's keep moving. Lydia becomes this first believer. This woman becomes this first believer in Europe. All right, we're in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer. So a few days, maybe a few weeks later, they're going back to this place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Paul got so annoyed that he cast out a spirit. This is interesting stuff going on here, right? Why was Paul so annoyed? It seems like she was telling the truth about what was going on. Well, that may be true. Like she, she is telling the truth, but it, it would be my take that she's actually being distracting, that she's distracting people from the true message and more of what Paul wants to share. He's getting annoyed. She's getting in the way the spirit is inhibiting what should be happening. It's distracting to people. I also think that Paul didn't want the truth of the gospel associated with a girl who was possessed, right? Like if she's a part of what's going on, then it can cause confusion. And so in his annoyance, he actually sets her free. It's this beautiful, beautiful healing of this young slave girl who's being completely and totally mistreated by that culture. Fortune telling through an evil spirit for money. And through G Paul says, in the name of Jesus Christ, set her free. That's what Jesus does. He sets slaves free. And an annoyed Paul, in faith, asked Jesus to set her free. And she's free. It's beautiful. All right, let's continue on. We're in verse 22. It's a little bit of a longer section, so stick with me here. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone in, everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out of the prison and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens. They threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Paul and Silas get severely beaten with rods and thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. I ask myself, so right about, right, like in the moment that they started taking off your clothes and they were about to hit you with the rods. Why didn't at that moment you tell them, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this without a trial. Why didn't Paul and Silas step up in that moment and voice their concern and say, hey, you can't do this? Well, it would be my take it would be my take that Paul and Silas in that moment were in tune with the Holy Spirit and they didn't step up and say something in that moment because they had a divine appointment that night. They had a divine appointment that night in the jail. Just like they had an appointment a few days earlier on the shores of that little creek where they met those women and Lydia, they had an appointment that night. And the Holy Spirit said, not yet, guys. You're going to get beaten. They're going to take off your clothes. They're going to beat you with rods. And they're going to lock you in prison. Because I've got a plan for you tonight. I've got a special assignment for you tonight. I have an appointment for you tonight. And Paul and Silas, in faith, went through that trial and they land in prison, and what do they do? What do they do? They start singing. 
and worshiping God in the midst of being beaten and locked in prison. The Holy Spirit had worked in them. They were in tune with the Holy Spirit. He had brought them to that place, and they worship in that place. And the, the fellow inmates are amazed, and they, they join in, right? Look, what is going on here? This is something special. What a witness. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of being wrongly in prison, they share their faith. They share and they praise and they worship. And then all of a sudden, an earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison and sets them free. What a powerful piece of encouragement Paul and Silas would be able to share with the fellow believers of what God did in the midst of their suffering. See, the early church is going to suffer. It's going to suffer in ways that we can't even imagine. And this moment for Paul and Silas in the prison would be an incredible encouragement to the early church. But they weren't there just for the encouragement. They were there to save someone's life. They were there to save the jailer's life, not just from his own sword, but from his own sin, right? They're going to share with him the good news. This is like every evangelist dream happens in this moment. Anybody that's want, wanted to share their faith, so, somebody runs in, throws themselves at their feet and says, what must I do to be saved? Right? This is this, is this amazing moment. And they share with this jailer the word of the Lord. And they share with him who Jesus is. For Lydia, Lydia, Paul, Paul put together some of the pieces and he added that final piece, right? She was on this, this journey of faith. God opens her heart through a whisper. And Paul faithfully shares with her the gospel. But for the jailer, the jailer, it's a very different experience. The jailer is likely a, a Roman pagan, polytheist, Roman pagan. And it takes not just a whisper to open his heart, but it takes a violent earthquake to shake that man awake. And he comes to faith. He comes to faith because of what God did in that circumstance that night. And he responds through getting baptized. And his whole family follows him. And he is filled with joy as he feeds Paul and Silas a meal. What a powerful conversion account. If Lydia's is a, a, a growing, a maturing, of a, pieces all being put together, this is this radical conversion in the life of the Gentile. For me, what I see in this story, this text this morning, these 34 verses this morning, the phrase that comes to my mind is only God. It's only God. There are so many supernatural events and circumstances and workings in this passage that it, it's only God. Only God can put a man into somebody's dream, right? Right? 
to tell him where to go. Only, only God can, can move these guys to get to this city and to wander down to the place of prayer and meet with this group of women and meet Lydia. And only God can work in her heart to bring her to faith. And only, only God can work to free this girl who is trapped in slavery, possessed by an evil spirit. Only God can convince two guys to get beaten up and, and moved into prison because he has a purpose. And only God can make an earthquake happen so that this jailer comes to faith, wakes up and realizes that this is amazing and that I need to come to faith. Only God. Only God. That's the, the thread that's woven throughout this passage this morning. Not only God moving in these amazing, powerful, supernatural ways, but if we peel it back a little bit more, what I see is this intentional love and pursuit and care for each one of these people in a way that changes their whole life. God, God knew exactly what Paul needed. He knew that Paul was a pretty stubborn guy, a pretty ornery guy. He needed a dream. <laughs> a guy in the middle of the night who begs him to come. He knew that Lydia, he loved Lydia. He loved Lydia so much. He loved that she feared God and he went to her and he whispered to her heart in a way that she knew that this was true. And she saved. And he knew that that stubborn jailer needed an earthquake to wake him up. I see this, this beautiful care, this intentional pursuit, this, this love of God poured out on these folks in this scripture. Only God, church. Only God. And what about you? Do you need an, an earthquake? Do you need a man from Macedonia in your dream? Do you need a gentle whisper to your heart? Do you need freeing from something that's just bound you? Some evil like this, this poor girl? Something that's enslaved you? I want you to know this morning that God knows. God knows. God knows that thing that's keeping you from fully knowing, experiencing, and journeying with him. God, if you don't know Jesus, God wants you to know him. If you feel something in your spirit this morning, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit opening your heart to hear the truth of the gospel. This morning even. Come to faith in him. Or maybe you're stressed and you, you don't know what's next, God knows. He wants you to draw so close to him in that, where he can care for you and love you. He wants you to bring the biggest thing that you're afraid to talk about or that you're concerned about, he wants you to bring that to him. He wants to care for you through it. He wants to walk with you through it. Let me pray for us this morning. 
God, you're so good. We love you so much. We thank you for this passage this morning. I thank you for the life of Paul and Silas who, who are a testament of faithfulness. They walk faithfully to places that are going to be difficult and into situations that are hard. I thank you for the response of Lydia, the response of the jailer. God, help us to respond to you in that way as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.